If you guys would turn with me to uh, Matthew 28. Turn with me to Matthew 28. We're going to have the the verses up here on the screen, in case you didn't bring your Bible. So that being said, worship is not only just a Sunday morning at church with a worship team and a worship band leading us in songs. Worship is also us looking into God's Word and applying it to our lives and seeing what it says for us. That is also worship. It's a way in which we worship the Lord. So now we're going to worship God not only with song, but we're going to worship God in His Word. So let's pray before we get started. Lord, we thank you for the opportunities that you've given us to worship you. God, thank you for the opportunity to worship you in song. Thank you for the opportunity you've given us to worship you in prayer and looking into your word together. And Lord, we pray now that we would worship you with our thoughts and affections and and intentions of our hearts to to look into what you have to say for us. God, I pray you'd help me to make clear your word to your people. God, give me clarity of thought and speech. Lord, I need you right now. Lord, thank you for this opportunity you've given us to look into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1792, William Carey, no relation to Jim Carey, William Carey published a booklet entitled An Inquiry into the Obligations of Christians to Use Means for the conversion of the heathen. Okay? Not quite the title on any kind of books you'd see nowadays at the Christian bookstore, right? However, this book, in it, Carey argued against the prevailing view of the time that the Great Commission of Matthew 28 had been fulfilled by the first apostles and was not applicable to the church in succeeding generations. So there's an understanding at, the, at that time in 1792. There's an understanding of the Great Commission in Matthew 28, which we're going to look at a little bit today. There's an understanding that this commission had already been fulfilled by the original apostles that the Lord Jesus had commissioned at that time. And so missions was virtually nothing. There was no missions going on because people said, well, it's already been done, so we don't, that's kind of not for us. That's for, that was for those guys. For Kerry, this was an abdication of our responsibility. He saw the Great Commission as a duty and privilege for all generations, and thus began the modern missionary movement. So this long-titled book, for the, Using Means for the Conversion of Heathen, this, this little booklet that this guy wrote in 1792 completely transformed Christianity in that sense of missions. Missions was more than just um, missions was more than just what these guys did in the beginning, apostles. How, he said, what this for is for all believers. This is a commission to all believers. This is a commission for all people, for all time. This was not just done by the early apostles. Now we're going to look at this commission in Matthew 28. We're going to read starting in verse 16. And see what the Lord Jesus had to say to his apostles after his death and resurrection on the cross. This is Matthew 28, verses 16 through verse 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they had saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority... In heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, 
I am with you always to the end of the age. We read this verse at times and we can kind of go back to that understanding of of missions, not necessarily being for the 12 apostles that Jesus spoke to, but missions in terms of being for the people who do it full time. So we look at this and we think, well, this is being fulfilled today. I understand my, I've got some cousins who are missionaries in the Philippines. They're doing that. Um, Charity Reeves doing missions on, at home and abroad. And so she's doing that kind of stuff. And so we look at it and we have this understanding that this is for someone else. Or this commission was for the people who are doing it full time or, or have a real big interest into it or have a heart for it or go on mission trips every once in a while. But it is a call to missions. But this verse is not exclusively to the missions of foreign lands. And I'll read you a, ver- uh, a quote by D.A. Carson. And this, I had to read this a couple of times, but I'm gonna, I want to read this and explain it, okay? This is what D.A. Carson says regarding this passage of Scripture. Disciples are those who hear, understand, and obey Jesus' teaching. The injunction is given to at least the eleven, but to the eleven in their own roles as disciples. Therefore, they are paradigms for all disciples. It is binding on all of Jesus' disciples to make others what they themselves are, disciples of Jesus Christ. So Jesus gave this, this commission to his guys, to those, those 11 apostles. But it wasn't just giving them to say, okay, you 11, you do this, and you only do this, and when you're done, it's done, and no one else has to worry about this ever again. He says, no, I'm giving this to you as my disciples. And for all disciples, whoever will follow after me must understand this as meaning this is for me not for someone else. This is our call as God's disciples to follow what Jesus says in these verses, not just for the select few. And the call and the command of Christ to make disciples, not of ourselves, but disciples of Christ. And and in this verse, Jesus not only gives a command, but he gives a command with authority. Okay, look in verse 18. It says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So this is, this is the understanding. All authority has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. So this going, of, going and making disciples is connected to the authority that Christ Jesus has in verse 18. Okay, do you guys see that? This connection there. It says, go, therefore. It says, therefore, it's because he has all authority. So in the text, in this passage, the command to go is linked to the authority of, in Christ Jesus. Now, when I think of this, I think of a couple different examples. One would be, I remember Larry Barker was talking to his um, his boss at work. He works at uh, a car parts place, and he's talking to his boss at the car parts place, right? And so the boss is, like, saying, hey, man, you should really, like, they're talking about Larry's schooling and what he's going to do after school and, and, you know, just the decision he's going to make for his life. And his boss is like, man, you need to, like, quit this job or whatever. You need to, like, go be a doctor, you, you know, give up all these things. And Larry's like, hold on a second, hold on. Like, you may be a boss here at work, but you're not my life boss, okay? And so he's like, no, it's not going to work that way. His boss only had authority for that small part of his life, not for the whole thing. Now, it's also because, now, I also think of this as well. Um, John Michael and Adeline play upstairs in their rooms, and they make a huge mess, Okay. Make a huge mess. 
So for John Michael to go on his own authority and go up to Adeline, his sister, his big sister, and say, Adeline, big sister, you need to clean your room. You need to get this all cleaned up. And by the way, make my bed as well. Okay? That's not going to happen because in and of himself, John Michael has no authority, does he? Just like Larry's boss has no authority over other areas of his life. However, if I go to John Michael and say, John Michael, you go tell your sister to go clean her room and then go make your bed afterwards. Then he, he can go upstairs with an authority that's been given to him by somebody else, by the person with all the authority in the house, Michelle and I. So he goes up there and says, Adeline, you need to clean your room. And she says, yeah, right. He says, my dad told me to tell you so. Guess what? She's got to do everything that he says because he is operating under somebody else's authority that's been given to him. Now, in this verse, we see the Lord Jesus Christ saying, go and make disciples in the authority that I have given you. And it's like that little child that could command the bigger brother or sister to do what normally they wouldn't do otherwise. He says, now with that kind of authority that I have over all things, you go and make disciples with the authority that I have given you. And on your own, you have no authority. You're not anyone's life boss. Okay. However, with the authority of Jesus Christ that he gives to us, we now have authority to go and make disciples and to do it in the power that he provides for us to do it in. So God has given all his people authority to go and make disciples of, of, of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to pause here just a second and just as I read this, it's challenging to me. I think... Have I done this? Have I taken one of the most famous passages in Scripture, the Great Commission? Have I taken this, what I've heard a million times, going to church as a little kid, as an adult, and every mission trip we go on, we, we read this and we all agree that it, this is right and this is the Word of God and this is the Word for us. And I think, have I done this? Have I done this? Has this been the story of my life? Not just making disciples in a foreign country, but making disciples wherever I am, wherever God would have me to be. God have me to be at work, along working with other people who don't know Christ. Have I used that opportunity as a missions field to bring the news of Jesus Christ or my neighborhood or my family? To what or little degree have I contributed to this and being faithful to this commission. Now, I say that not to condemn us, because I myself am challenged. I hear this and think, Lord, what would you have for me? Lord, have I been faithful? Have I been faithful to this word, this most basic word that we hear so often? If we've been in church any amount of time, have I been faithful to do this? Well, I'm going to talk about today how we at Mercy Hill begin to put this into practice in our lives. And primarily, not necessarily only through missions. Although we, have a, we hold missions in high regard, it is important to us to do missions, to take the Word of God to faraway places. That is vitally important. However, it's also important for us to understand this as God's disciples, to make disciples wherever we are. So we're going to look at a couple of different places. Would you please turn with me to Colossians? Go back to Colossians. I was debating whether to go back to Colossians and... 
I couldn't find another verse to use that is this clear on the growth and the ministry of, of believers in the church and in the body of Christ. So we go back to the book of Colossians, Colossians 1, verses 3 and 6. So I thought, oh, man, I've, you know, I've spent a couple months in Colossians. How can we go back? But I feel like this is, this is clear. I, I, we preached on this two months ago, but I, I want to go back to this because this is, is clear connection for what we believe as a church and what we want ministry to look like as, as a body of Christ. So Colossians 1, verses 3 and 6. 3 through 6, I'm sorry. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. And so in this text, in this passage, the Apostle Paul writing to the Colossian church is saying this gospel, this message of Jesus Christ, of his death and resurrection, his death as penalty and payment for our sins. We believe this. We believe that Jesus Christ didn't die for someone else out there, but he died for me, for my sins, the things that I have done wrong. We believe that. We trust that 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 payment for sin was the final payment for sin, that no other thing is necessary for us for salvation. No amount of good works, no amount of going to church, no amount of, of giving, no amount of sacrifice, no amount of missions trips could somehow earn our way into heaven. That was done through Jesus Christ on the cross, dying for our sins. When we believe that, we come to new life in Christ. And he says, this belief, this understanding of Jesus Christ, this gospel is good news. He says, does two things. It bears fruit and it grows. It bears fruit and it grows. So his gospel, he says, look, it's bearing fruit and it's growing. Not only in your midst, in your church, but all over the world. This isn't just some regional message. This is a worldwide message that is bearing fruit all over the world and growing, as it does today. This message wasn't just for the church that was good for them. I'm glad it's growing for them and bearing fruit for them. This is the same message that bears fruit in our church, in our lives, and is growing today all over the world. This message cannot be contained. cannot be contained to a few passages of Scripture for the Colossian church. It's, it's broken wide. The floodgates have opened all over the world. As it, as it did for them, so it does for us. So he says it does two things. bears fruits and grows. This gospel message. It bears fruit. In the, in the preceding verses, verses 3 and 4, he says, Faith, hope, and love. He gives his examples for us. Not an exhaustive list, but examples of there's, there's something of the nature of Christ Jesus that comes and the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us, that causes us to live our lives before Almighty God and before other people, that is evidenced by the work of God in our lives. Meaning, these things like faith, hope, love, the fruits of the Spirit, peace, joy, patience, goodness, kindness, these things are evident because Almighty God is dwelling inside of us. Now, because of that, that produces that kind of fruit. It's called fruit in our lives. Okay? Okay? 
But not only that, but he says also growing. So there's maturing. There's a, there's a maturing that at one point we may have been infants in the Lord or infants in our, in our salvation where we, we knew some things and we, we experienced some of this fruit in our lives. But he says there's maturity. There's a growing. Where now this, this fruit is becoming more and more evident. This fruit is, is, is expanding and growing in our lives. This fruit is, is happening all the time. People are beginning to notice it. Your spouse begins to say, wow, you've, you're, you've, you've, you're different from what you used to be. You're, things are changing. Your, your coworkers are saying, man, there's something going on here. That's, that's growing. But it's not only growing individually, but it's growing numerically. That the message of Jesus Christ and this good news of the gospel is not only bearing fruit in our lives, in our church, in our families, but it's expanding and growing to other people. That other people are putting their hope and trust in Christ. He says it grows, this gospel message. So, for growth and bearing fruit as a church, on a church-wide level, okay, we're going to talk about two things. Church-wide level of this kind of ministry of the Spirit, ministry of the, of the Word of God, the ministry of the gospel, this kind of ministry on a church-wide level, but then also individually. And I'm going to kind of go through this church-wide growth rather quickly because I think we've spent some time on that, and that would be a whole other message, and primarily talk about how we experience that on an individual basis. Okay? So first, I do want to talk about church-wide uh, ministry of this gospel message that bears fruit and grows. Okay? So there's a number of, of ministry opportunities we have on a Sunday morning. There is opportunity for chill, to serve in children's ministry, to, to, to make disciples that way by teaching children to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And I can think of far, I can't think of very few things that mean so much as to take a child and begin to tell them about the wonders and love of Jesus Christ. Begin to tell them how much, what God is like. And explain the truth, the eternal truth of Scripture to a three and four and five-year-old child. That is so valuable, so important. You know, we, we, we value those things at Living Word. It is important to us. And not only that, but what I, that's the living word. Oh, sorry. Living word also values that. Okay, it's important. The living word. I was the the children and youth pastor at Living Word for about five years, so it's ingrained in my head. So that's important to them, but it's also important to us. Okay, so it's important to us at Mercy Hill, and it's important to other churches as well. But one of the, some of the ways so we get involved at children's ministry here at Mercy Hill. Um, we also get involved with, with being on the worship team. Although, we, like we talked about today, being on the worship team doesn't mean you just sing songs and play an instrument. We're, being on the worship team is, is anything that we do to facilitate the singing of songs and worship here at Mercy Hill. So the guys, Brett and Gloria in the back, who serve faithfully, and, and other people who do that, Ashley and, um, and Amy and Joe, serve faithfully in this and helping us to, to draw our attention to Jesus Christ. Usher team, Bill Freitag leads that team and it provides a way for us to uh, make sure the children's area downstairs is secure and safe as we are up here uh, learning about the Lord, um, helps you know distribute the elements for, for communion and all these things that facilitate us growing closer to the Lord and experiencing His presence. There's also opportunities outside of the hour and a half that we have here on a Sunday morning, like nursing home visitation that we have 
um, food distribution that we're going to, we're still working on that, but that's coming very soon. So there's other ministry that's kind of like church-wide ministries that people get involved with. Now, those are good and valuable. Those are important. Children's ministry is important, okay? However, the temptation of church-wide programs is limiting our ministry to just an hour and a half or an hour a week of saying, okay, I did my church thing. I did my children's ministry thing on Sunday morning. I fulfilled my, my, my call in Matthew 28 to make disciples for the 30 minutes I have with the children on Sunday morning. And that was, that was the end of it. I've done my duty in a sense. So the temptation could be for us is that if all the spots are filled in the ministry spots, so if there's no spots available, I'd like to serve. You know, we don't really have any area for the servant to. Then in the meantime, I also have to kind of wait on the side until something opens up. And we become spectators, just kind of waiting for something to open up for us because all the spots are filled for the church-wide ministry. Or the other thing is also true is that if the area of ministry is not my ministry responsibility or the area in which I've been given um, a call to do, so if like there's a follow-up team and I'm not on the follow-up team, then I don't necessarily have to do any follow-up because someone else is doing that already. Okay, it's kind of like seeing a piece of garbage in the bathroom. And it's someone else's responsibility to pick up that piece of garbage. Someone's probably getting paid to do that. Someone with gloves on so they don't get sick or whatever. So guess what? I'm not going to pick up that piece of garbage because someone else is doing that. Someone else's ministry. Okay, now that's an extreme example. But I think it could follow up with a lot of other things in our lives. So follow-up, for instance, like I just said. We could see follow-up, someone to come to Mercy Hill on a, on a first-time basis, they don't know anyone, they're sitting there by themselves, and we could look at it and say, you know what, someone else will get to those guys. Someone else will greet them. Someone else will invite them out to dinner. Someone else will give them a call this week. Someone else will do that. That's someone's job. That's someone's responsibility. So therefore, I don't have to do it. Okay? So those are a couple of the temptations for having church-wide ministries. Although we, those are important, those can be temptations for us. So we can limit our understanding of discipleship to the 90 minutes on a Sunday morning or this understanding of discipleship to the one hour that I give to distribute food or visit a nursing home. It's kind of like this, okay? Streetwise newspaper, I don't know if they still have this in Chicago. They still have, they still sell Streetwise? Okay. I used to go downtown every once in a while, not all the time. In every block or so, there'd be a guy selling Streetwise magazine for whatever it was, a dollar or whatever. And it was I, my understanding, I could be totally wrong, but it was my understanding that it was usually guys who were out of work or homeless that were trying to make a few bucks to get them into a shelter or provide some food for the day. So they'd sell the Streetwise magazine as a way to provide employment. And so so you kind of like, no one would read, the, I'd never read the Streetwise magazine, so you give the... Give the first guy in the first block that you come to, you give him a dollar. Okay, here, give me the magazine. I'll go throw it away when I'm done with it because I'm not going to read this thing, but I just want to help you out, you know. And so the next five blocks, you, you become guys keep trying to sell you Streetwise, right? Well, you f- don't really feel responsibility to buy a Streetwise magazine anymore, even though it's going to help these guys because you've already helped the first guy that you came into and you gave him the dollar, okay? And we could leave that day giving $1 to the one guy, but saying no to the other five guys, feeling like, man, I've done my duty. 
I've given to the poor. I've done all that was required of me. I just gave that dollar. I didn't have to give those other five. Those guys, I didn't need what they were selling. Okay, so we could come to a place of saying, kind of feeling content and being tempted to feel like I've done my duty because I've done given the dollar at that one time. Or tithing, for instance. In the Old Testament, it talks a lot about tithing. And we talk about tithing, giving 10% of what you earn to the Lord. However, when we give our 10% to God, it's not just that we give 10, okay, God, you get the 10 and I get the 90 to do whatever I want to with. In the New Testament, the understanding isn't just 10%. The understanding is everything. That everything belongs to God. God doesn't, 10% doesn't just belong to God and 90% belongs to us. God says, all of it belongs to me and I'll allow you to be stewards of what I've entrusted you to do. So the temptation for us could be to do the 10% on a Sunday morning and then say, well, I'm done for the week. I don't have to give anything more. If God calls me to do something, to help someone out in need, to help out someone who, who comes to me and says, you know, I need some money for food, to say, you know what, when do you go see the church? I already gave my 10%. I've done my duty. I've, I've done what was required of me. Now I'm done. I'm off the hook. I don't got to help anyone else. So that could be the temptation. Now, I'm not saying that to try to condemn everyone here and say, oh, you guys are all this way. But it's a temptation for me to do that. I'm the guy. I didn't give anything, you know, the streetwise guy. I've done that a hundred times. And so it, it's, it's, it's challenging for me to, to read these things and say, okay, ministry is more than just the 90 minutes on a Sunday morning, more than just the 10% at the plate, more than just the $1 to the streetwise guy. Ministry is much, much more than that, okay? Now, if we want to bear fruit and grow, not only as a church, but as individuals, then we need to make, start making gospel connections, okay? This is what it looks like for us. We, can, we begin to connect this message of the gospel that was bearing fruit and growing in their church, this message that was bearing fruit and growing into our lives and into the lives of people around us, okay? If this was bearing fruit, if this is the means by which God has allowed us to, to see fruit grow and increase, and increase not only in, our, in ourselves, but numerically, then we need to begin to say, how can I begin to make gospel connections into my life to see that kind of fruit, and to see that kind of growth around us, okay? So we're going to look through a couple of scriptures. You do not have to turn there. I'm going to go through these pretty quickly. They'll be up on the screen, okay? So for instance... I want to show us what this looks like because this is all over the New Testament. I don't have time to go through all the scriptures. I'm going to go through about um, four or five of them, okay? So, for instance, Gospel Connections, Philippians 1.27. The Apostle Paul writes this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let your manner of life be worthy. Let your conduct, let the way in which you live, the way in which you... Live out all of your life before all other people. Be in accordance with the gospel. So there's a way in which we live our lives that is in accord with this message of the gospel. Okay? There's a way in which we live our lives. Now we look at Galatians 2.14. This is the Apostle Paul again writing. He says, When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. The Apostle um, Peter at the time was was eating with 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 all pe with 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 Gentiles and Jewish people, 
And so when, when some of these other Jewish people came by, he began to withdraw from the Gentile people and began to eat only with the Jewish people. And so he began to, he began to basically allow racism to happen right in his midst. This is the Apostle Peter. He said, you know what, you guys, we're not, I'm not going to associate with you guys anymore. There's a stigma about you. There's an, under, the, an old way of understanding that said you guys were unclean. Therefore, I'm going to withdraw and be with my people. Begin to be racism. In, in, in this sense, racism. He says, the, the apostle Paul said this to Peter. He says, your conduct is not in step with the truth of the gospel. The gospel eliminates racism. He says, no, that's not the way we live. That's not in accord with the gospel. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20 says this. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20 says this. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. He says you were bought with a price. That was Christ Jesus dying on the cross. He says the way in which we live sexually is connected to the gospel. He says the way in which we live sexually, our sexual purity is connected in to this message of the gospel. That we belong to Christ Jesus. We belong to God. Therefore, we honor God with our bodies. Ephesians 4.32 says this. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. The way in which we forgive one another is not the measure of which our own understanding comes to. The way in which we forgive one another is the standard of Christ Jesus forgiving us on the cross of all of our sins, completely, totally, absolutely. That's the standard. He connects forgiveness in our understanding of forgiveness and how we forgive back to the gospel. Okay? Two more real quick. Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The way husbands are to love their wives is dictated by the way in which Christ Jesus loves the church and gave himself up for her. A high standard. This isn't the way the world says the husbands should love their wives. The way that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The way that husbands are to love their wives is connected back into the gospel. 2, 2 Corinthians 8 verses 9. This is the Apostle Paul asking for funds to help fund another church. So he's asking for funds. He said, he's talking about giving here. He says, for... For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. He's connecting the way in which we give to the gospel. He's connecting the way in which we, we, we give our funds and the way we support one another and the way we support other churches back to the gospel. Now, we talked about ways in which we can begin to, to do ministry at Mercy Hill, but we're going to look at now how we begin to do ministry individually, apart from church-wide programs, okay? 
So I, I can think of three primary ways that we do this, that we begin to prayerfully, considerately, and patiently begin to speak the life-giving word of the gospel in each other's lives. So how do we begin to, to begin to speak these truths into each other's lives? Okay? Three ways, I can think, primary ways. Number one is this, showing hospitality. We show hospitality. Romans 12, 13, seek to, it says, seek to show hospitality. 1 Peter 4, 9, it says, show hospitality. We invite people into our homes and into our lives and begin to share the word of truth with one another. This isn't just hanging out talking about sports, not talking about the latest recipes, not talking about child-rearing techniques. This is about talking about the word of God to one another. And it's done through showing hospitality. When Michelle was in college, or just after college, what she did is she, be, she found a couple in the church, and she said, I want to serve your family. And this is how I'm going to serve your family. I'm going to babysit for you every single week, every Thursday night or whatever it was. I'm going to come over. You can count on me. I'll be there every week, and I'll babysit for you every single week. And you guys can go out, and I want to see your marriage strengthened and your family blessed. And, but afterwards, they'd come home from their, their date, and they would sit down, and they would just begin to talk to Michelle about the word of truth, about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and about what it means to live for Jesus. What are you struggling with? What areas in your life do you need to be challenged in? What can we be praying for you for? What has God been showing you in his word? And have real heart to heart. And they open their house to her. They just, okay, thanks for, thanks for babysitting. Be on your way. They open their homes and their lives to, to Michelle. I was thinking about the Monday night group, this Bible study that my parents had in their home a number of years ago, probably 10, 12 years ago. And they opened their house to a few teenagers who were at Highland High School and said, look, we'd like to have a Bible study to tell you about Jesus Christ. You come over, we'll give you guys some cookies and milk. You can hang out and stay at our house as long as you want. And slowly but surely, it grew from a couple kids coming over to, to at one point, over 100 people coming and hearing about the message of Jesus Christ. And it all started because someone said, I want to open my house to people. I don't care if you drink all my milk, eat all my food, which they did. I don't care if my kids have to hide food in the refrigerator so you don't find it, which I had to do. It's more important that you can hear about the word of truth, the gospel, than it is about having a full refrigerator. And so they begin to open their homes and open their lives to share it with people. And people came to know Jesus Christ. There was gospel growth. There was fruit and there was growth. So that's the first way, hospitality. And if you are, if you're single and you live with your parents still, or you live with a bunch of roommates, you know what? You can still invite people out for dinner somewhere, pay for their dinner. What about that? Hey, I want to buy you dinner. Come out. Let's hang out together. That'd be some amazing hospitality. Okay. Small groups. So the first one would be showing hospitality. The second one in which we engage with is small groups. Small groups at Mercy Hill are huge. They're important. They're vital. If you are not part of a home group, a life share group, you need to be. You need to call the office this week. Come talk to me. Find out where home groups are meeting, where they are. We'll sign you up. We'll get you plugged in. This is really, we're not a church with small groups. We're a church of small groups. Okay? 
here's the deal with, here's the deal with life share. If you want to see this gospel growth and connection, then you need to be the one that's going to show up at life share group, ready to pray, share, and encourage. You be that person. You may be going to home group right now saying, you know what? It's okay. I mean, I like it. I get along with people. I mean, every once in a while, someone has something funny to say, and that's cool, but I want to challenge you that you would be the one who would come ready to share and encourage and love other people. In, my, in the life share group that I was in prior, when I was at Living Word, the life share group that we were in, we were in a phenomenal life share group. Met Bill and Terry's basement. We had a great time together. But one of the reasons that this group was, was so amazing was because right from the get-go, Jay Weinsman, who led the group, said, we showed up, on a, we showed up for one, one small group, and it was, group is okay. Then Terry Freitag, um, who was kind of new to the group, shows up, her and Bill, and Terry just laid everything on the table. Just, here's, here's my life. Here's what's going on. Here's the things I'm struggling with. Here's the things I'm seeing victory with. And she just began to open up and pour out her heart to people. And it melt, immediately began to melt walls down from people. And from that time on, that small group was transformed and changed to never be the same again. Because one person said, this is important to me. I want to live this out. I don't want to just talk about it and have some theory about why small groups should be good. I want to experience it for myself. And that means me doing that on my own. So we do it through hospitality, through small groups, and one-on-one. One-on-one. Just getting together as couples or as, as individuals. Inviting people out to dinner after, after church or after a small group. Talking over coffee. Deepening our friendships. When I was, when I was in college... Mike Stevens, who is the pastor at Living Word Church, took said, hey, let's, let's go out for coffee sometime and just talk about what's going on in your life. So great, no problem. I went out with Mike Stevens, and we began to develop, me and, and Donnie Katinsky and Jeff Reeb, we began to go out with Mike Stevens and begin to talk about what God's doing in our lives. And Mike began to sow truth into our lives. We're going to speak the word of truth, the gospel into our lives, and challenge us with the word, and begin to really bring the Word of God to bear on our lives, and things in my life were never the same again. It challenged me. I, I grew. I experienced this growth. I experienced this fruit. I experienced that in my own life. But someone, had, someone came to me and said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take hold of you and see that you are bearing fruit. Now, these things in and of themselves, this hospitality, one-on-one, the small groups, they don't bring growth on their own. The Apostle Paul doesn't write this scripture and say, hey, look, you've heard before of the small groups we've had at, at, in the Colossian church and the one-on-one going on and the, and the hospitality has been shown. And, and there's, gr- there's growth from that. There's, there's exponential growth and there's fruit from these small groups. And these things in and of themselves do not bear fruit. It's the gospel that produces fruit and growth. And these things are only a means by which we can bring the gospel to one another. Begin to share it with one another. These things in and of themselves, apart from the gospel, are just nice social get-togethers. But it's the gospel that transforms these things and makes them dynamic and growing and exponential growth. And if we begin to understand ministry, not just as a 90-minute um, group thing or, or team thing that we do, which is important, but if we begin to understand 
the growth and the call to discipleship that we all have on our lives in the word of God that we see if we understand that way that we can experience and, and, and live out discipleship all the time, then the possibilities for ministry at Mercy Hill are endless. You don't have to be on a team to do this. You don't have to be on the worship team to be in a discipleship relationship with somebody. You don't have to be on the, the follow-up team or the, the greeting team or the usher team to experience this. You can experience ministry all the time at work, at home, with your friends, with your neighbors. This can happen all the time. The possibilities are limitless. And at Mercy Hill, I want us all to feel a sense of responsibility to see that this happens in our church and in our lives. I don't have a program invented for this, to make this happen. But this kind of ministry is not for the select few, not for the really spiritually mature. This is for everybody. This is a call to ministry. This is a call to follow the Great Commission. This is where Jesus Christ is calling us. This is how we can live out the Great Commission, even if we're at work in Highland, Indiana, on Monday morning. We don't have to be in a foreign place to live out the Great Commission. We can be right where we are, making disciples through the gospel, seeing it bear fruit and growing right in our midst. Now, there could be three, three things that we understand this to be for us. You may hear me speaking these things this morning and say, I don't even know what this gospel stuff is. I mean, it sounds good. It sounds important. It sounds like, you know, you're getting excited about it. And, you know, but I don't necessarily understand what that is. If that is you, I'm glad you're here today. I'm glad that you're listening to this message. You can come talk to me after the, after the meeting today. Come talk to the person that brought you here today to explain exactly, answer any questions that you have. Or you don't know it, but I don't even know how to talk about this stuff with other people. I mean, I don't, maybe I do know the gospel. Maybe I have heard these things before. What do I do with this? I don't know how to get together with people. I don't know how to talk to someone about the gospel. I'm too timid. I'm too afraid to do this, or I don't know how to do it. That's what's so important about life share groups is that you can go to your life share leader and say, help me know how to do this. I want to talk to my neighbor about Jesus Christ. I want to bring this gospel message to people, but I don't know how to do it. Could you help me? Could you train me? Could you give me just an understanding of how this works? And that's what life share is so important because your life share leader can do that. They can help you do these things. Or for the rest of you who do know this message, feel like you can do this, then you need to get to it. You need to do this. This isn't for later. This isn't for a good message to talk about on the way home and then close the book and be done with it. This is the message to be lived out every day of our lives. This is the way we are to live our lives. In light of this, in light of the call of Christ, the authority that he has been given, that has been given to us to do these things. And the word of truth, the gospel that bears fruit and grows, 
This is what God's calling us to do. We need to get to it. You need to get to it. You need to do it. We need to ask the Lord for help to do that. Ask the Lord for his mercy and his empowerment to live this out. So I'm going to pray. We're going to finish with communion. Celebration of what God has done. And Kern's going to come back up and play some music for us as we do this. But Lord, we come before you today. We first want to thank you for dying on the cross for my sins, for our sins, that we can be forgiven and receive mercy and new life and a commissioning to live life your way. So, Lord, I pray this morning, God, help us to live life this way. Lord, help us to not see ministry as someone else's responsibility. But Lord, help us to see ministry as our responsibility. And I pray that you would give us the strength and desire and boldness to live out this message of the gospel in all areas of life. In Jesus' name.